0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of the intersection with conversation highlights from the meeting house on faith radio about a variety of topics including news information and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This podcast is being released on Mother's Day weekend 2021. Recently on The Meeting House, Karen Whiting pointed out instances in the lives of and powerful examples exhibited by various mothers, including some from the Bible. You'll be hearing from that conversation. Then you'll be hearing from Wendy Speak. She made a decision a while back to go without sugar for 40 days in order to draw closer to God. She now does it annually since... She has also initiated a fast from social media. Ahead, you can discover how she has grown spiritually through these practices. And on this edition of The Intersection, Amberly Niece is intent on seeing relationships healed and strengthened in the Lord and provides some insight into how people can relate better with one another. Finally, George Barna of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University offers survey data that only 6% of Americans have a Christian worldview. But what is the worldview of the others? Well, there are many, and he shared with me about a dominant worldview that is present even among professing Christians. This is The Intersection, of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Karen Whiting is a prolific author, having written well over two dozen books, Family is important to her, and she has compiled a book that features stories of a variety of mothers, some whose lives are documented in the pages of scripture. The book is entitled Growing a Mother's Heart, Devotions of Faith, Hope, and Love for Mother's Past, Present, and Future. Here now from that conversation is Karen Whiting.
1: I started the book with a story about my youngest son, and I also have a dozen grandchildren, actually more than a dozen, and... With Daniel one day, he was two and a half, and I kissed him goodbye, and he turned around, and I watched him wipe that kiss off his face and just pat his chest, and I thought, oh, he's already feeling too big for my kisses, as he went off to go with his sister. And then he twirled around, looked at me, and said, do you know what I just did, Mom? And I thought, I don't want to say what I think you just did. So <laughs> I bent down, looked him in the eye, and asked, what did you do? And he said, I took your kiss, and I put it in my heart. Oh, and he went on and said, and so if I feel sad or mad today, I can take it out and I'll be okay. <laughs> you know, and that's just such a precious memory to have. And I also, you know, but that would immediately made me think of scriptures and where God said to hide his word in our heart. And I thought, well, just like he wanted to hide my kiss, that's what I need to do with the scriptures. And so we learn a lot from our children and we can relate that back to God and, and then to them.
0: Well, as far as the structure, of this book, Growing a Mother's Heart. I think it would be helpful to give our listeners just a bit of the concept, how it's structured, how it's organized, and then we'll talk about some of these specific elements because you really encompass a number of different stories of mothers, mothers that are whose stories are told in the Bible, as well as contemporary moms and mothers throughout history. So tell me about how you've organized this.
1: Well, there are 30 weeks, every week has a theme. So the theme, you know, may be on struggles, the theme may be on significance, or it may be on something to do with uh, joy and embracing life. But every week starts with the first day is a prayer, a heartfelt prayer for moms to read and, and reflect on during the week. And then I have, as you mentioned, three contemporary stories of moms of today. And what they have faced, there's one historic story in there. So that may go back as far as I have uh, Kubla Khan's mother, Ulan, <laughs> which you wouldn't even think of in a Christian book. But because of her, that opened religious freedom in Mongolia. He <laughs> hmm. was a leader. And then it has a biblical mom and her struggles or joys, plus Every day has a little today step, today's mom step of what one thing based on the story and the scripture can you do today to put into action. And it can sometimes be very simple. And then after the prayer, at the beginning of every week, there's usually two little quotes from children, from girls talking about being a mom in the future and about their moms. Hmm. And those, of course, add humor because children say the cutest little things.
0: Oh, no doubt. So basically, you're looking at a 180 day devotional. You've got three different categories of stories each week with a biblical mom, a historical mom, and then three contemporary stories. So that's five a week, 30 weeks, 150 stories. That's a lot of research. <laughs> Tell me how you kind of compiled and and really dug out this information.
1: Well, I do build a spreadsheet for everything. So <laughs> I went through looking at moms throughout history. And that did go, take me very far back. And as I did that, I would write who the mom was, the reference of where I found something about them, and what quality it was I wanted to pursue about that mom. And I did the same thing for biblical moms and thought about which ones impacted me, which ones impacted friends. And then I went out and asked through some groups of friends for stories of them as moms and gave them, particularly as I needed it, some of the categories that I needed something in. And there were some moms that I already knew their story and just really wanted to put it in there. So whether it was on listening or balancing act uh, failure, the mama bearing us, any of those types of things, and I divided those up to the right stories, and then I was able to just start writing the book.
0: Karen Whiting here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to karenwhiting.com. Whiting, well, next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Wendy Speak the author of The 40-Day Sugar Fast, Where Physical Detox Meets Spiritual Transformation, as well as The 40-Day Social Media Fast, Exchange Your Online Distractions for Real Life Devotion. In our recent conversation, she shared about some principles of drawing closer to the Lord. Here now is Wendy Speak.
2: It's crazy, Bob, that any good idea I've had has, um, hasn't sold many books, but when I get swept up, in something that just feels like it's out of left field and God puts it on my heart and I say it casually online and thousands of people respond. I say, well, apparently God, that's where you're at work. So I'm going to lay down my agenda. I think that the book writing or online ministry should look like, and I'm going to go where you want me to go. So one day I just said to a group specifically of moms who struggle with anger, I said, what would happen if we set down our sugar for 40 days? I wasn't Mm. even thinking at the beginning that this would be a fast. But physiologically, would we be able to be calmer and kinder and more consistent with our kids? And um, we see how sugar amps them up, and then they crash, and it's nap time, and and everybody's crying. And Is it possible that we're turning to a sugar high rather than turning to the most high to get through our, our parenting days? And in the process of those 40 days, we realized, wow, this is not a physical detox. This is a spiritual fast because we started turning to the most high. And isn't that what a fast is for?
0: Well, and something that is interesting, and it's something that I like to follow here on this program if people have listened to me, well, for, for the last few years, something that I like to explore from time to time is the relationship between the condition of our heart. And I'm not talking about our physical heart, but I'm talking about our spiritual heart, our spirit. What is taking place inside of us spiritually, I believe, is sometimes manifested in what we are experiencing physically or physiologically. And the subtitle of this book, The 40-Day Sugar Fast, is Where Physical Detox Meets Spiritual Transformation. So, Wendy, let me ask you this, which comes first? The physical Mm -hmm. detox or the spiritual transformation, or do they kind of work in tandem? Kind of uh, kind of answering my own question. But uh, but anyway, what are your yeah. thoughts on that?
2: Now, you know, I, I think that um, as I've seen so many people respond, I, I host a annual 40-day sugar fast online each January. And every year, tens of thousands join us. And um, I think that the invitation to do a quote-unquote sugar fast is a hook. I, I think it, people will say, oh, I know I have a problem with sugar. But really, the, more than the book, the journey is about our relationship with feasting on Christ, not hmm. fasting from sugar, but learning to feast on him. Because when you fast from sugar, it does change your body. It changes not just the size of your body, but the health of your body, how you're sleeping, how you're feeling, how you're dealing in relationships. It changes things. But if you really want to change your life, then it is feasting on God's word and enjoying his presence. So yes, it works in tandem, but it always surprises people when they sign up for the fast because they'll say, I know I have a problem with sugar. But what we didn't realize is we actually have a problem with God. We have a problem that we're turning to other things to get Mm -hmm. us through our days rather than turning to the one who's king of our days, lord of our days, who we say, we want to have a life with you forever. And God wants to say, yeah, but that abundant life starts now. What do we turn to every day, all day long? And he says, you come to me. You come to me when you're weary and heavy laden. And I'm going to change your life, not just your diet.
0: Wendy Speak here on The Intersection. You can find her online by going to Wendy Speak, That's com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to The Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. Also through the homepage, there's a link to The Intersection Podcast in The Media Center as well as through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, the website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from The Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app, and through a variety of podcast platforms, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Learn more when you visit the Meeting House homepage. Continuing now with this edition of The Intersection Podcast, its author and comedian, Amberly Neese. When she spoke with me recently, she discussed elements of relationships with an emphasis on the scriptures that she relates in the Bible study book, Common Ground, Loving Others Despite Our Differences, as well as the devotional book, The Friendship Initiative, 31 Days of Loving and Connecting Like Jesus. From that conversation, this is Amberly Nies now.
3: Oh my goodness, Bob, what did not inspire me to, 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 <laughs> uh, to do this? Yeah. So Common Ground is actually based on how to get along with others despite our differences. And I wrote it about three months into COVID when we had toilet paper hoarding hoarding, and like um, so much political tumult and so much, um, you know, cancel culture and unfriending and all these things. And I thought, there's got to be hope. And of course, there is hope always found in God's word. And so common ground is actually the source material is taking the sibling rivalries and uh, relationships in the Bible. And what can we learn as brothers and sisters in Christ? What can we learn from them? Um, to better get along with one another.
0: So this can obviously be applicable to the actually in-home, in-family sibling rivalries. These are principles, obviously, from the scriptures, but also if we regard correctly, biblically, the body of Christ as a family. Well, there you have it. How do we as a family get along? So you actually landed on four different sets of siblings, From the scripture. So tell me about that journey.
3: Yeah, It's a four week Bible study. So I just found, it's not that I cherry picked my favorites, but there were some (laughs) really um, fantastic uh, stories that just kind of popped out at me. One is Joseph and his brothers. How do we, how do you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ, how do we combat jealousy using their example? Um, And again, you know, Joseph's brothers, they were they were a disaster area waiting to happen. There was all sorts of jealousy, but we get to watch this redemption um, and, and and narrative of God throughout this. And what can we, what can you and I learn how to get along with the person at the grocery store or our next door neighbor or our boss? Um, sorry, um, I'm sure your boss is wonderful, but yes, um, how do yes, we get a, how absolutely. do we learn to get along with those people using um the the great example of Joseph and his brothers and their and the the story of redemption in them?
0: And so you got Joseph and his brothers. That's the first week. Jealousy. Okay. And I know James, the book of James, has something to say about jealousy. How do you see jealousy really affects our human relationships? Because, you know, as far as the family of God, the body of Christ, I'm not sure we talk about that a whole lot.
3: No, I don't think so either. And I'm so glad that you brought it up. And the truth is, I think jealousy dehumanizes the other person. Mm-hmm. They become a target instead of a, the the possibility of an ally. I think it's really easy. Joseph and, the, and his brothers, when we looked at, when you look at the story, when you read it all the way through, Joseph and his, bro- the, the brothers of Joseph would talk about him and to him, like, uh, and um they would talk about him and they would talk um toward him, but they would never talk to him. Like throughout the thing, they would talk, they would gossip about him and they would get together and they would have this synergy of mean toward him, but they didn't talk to him. Only when they reconciled was there this great empathy exchange. And I think that that's the deal. When we're jealous, we're too busy sitting it, marinating in our jealousy and we're not trying to find a thread of commonality between us and really practicing empathy uh, toward that. And so I think you're right, the, the jealousy is so divisive. It is so ugly, it's so acidic. And it undermines that which we're called to do, which is to be the light uh, in, in a dark world.
0: So do you think that maybe insecurity is the main thing driving this this jealous spirit? And if so, how do we identify it and get rid of it?
3: Wow. Man, you're going deep. Uh, so yes, <laughs> Sorry. I think, I think it, it does start with something called what I call the compare snare, where we get caught up in um, comparing ourselves to others. And just like any snare, the harder you fight, the the more deep that you you fall into this jealousy, the harder it is to get out of it. But I think part of it is just recognizing that God made that other person. Um, and And he gave them, you know, they are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for them to do. And when we start recognizing that and recognizing who God made us to be, the snare begins to tear. And um, and we and we start getting released from that. So part of it is just uh, recognizing, um, no matter how frustrating or I mean, I'm thinking mother-in-laws or you know, difficult um, difficult work relationships, we can learn to find something common in common, um, even if it's just the fact that we have, you know, cells that are coursing through our veins, um, that we can find commonality with them.
0: Amberly Nice here on the Intersection. You can find her online at Amberly, that's A M B E R L Y Nice N E E S E dot com. Well finally here on this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I had the opportunity recently to talk with George Barna. He is the director of research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, and he shared about a dominant worldview called moralistic therapeutic deism, which is a prime influence that is incorporated into people's worldviews. This conversation was in response to the findings that only 6% of Americans possess a Christian worldview, Here now from that conversation is George Barna. It sounds like to me you've got, as you mentioned, the 6% of American adults that possess a biblical worldview, and then a large majority of everybody else, well, it's kind of like a buffet. You get a little bit of this worldview, a little bit of the other. It sounds like that people are basically choosing their view of the world according to their own human tendencies and selective whims.
4: Well, it's true, Bob. You know, one of the things that we've discovered, I've been doing this kind of research for more than a quarter century, and one of the things I've found after interviewing tens of thousands of people about their worldview is that actually nobody has a pure worldview. (laughs) Even people who have a dominant worldview, whether it's the biblical worldview, secular humanism, postmodernism, whatever it may be, nobody has a pure worldview. We all have this tendency— no matter what our our foundation is, to be drawing from many different sources of perspective. And consequently, you know, we we find that that actually has become the dominant way of doing it. As you mentioned, syncretism, 88% of Americans, that really would be their dominant worldview where they're just picking and choosing and cutting and pasting, and that's what they work with. But uh, it's interesting as well, this one that almost nobody's ever heard of, moralistic therapeutic beingism, what we did find is that that's a worldview that more people draw from, either strongly or moderately, than any other worldview out there. Uh, obviously, they don't know that's what they're doing, but they hear things coming from that point of view, and it feels good, or it makes sense to them, or it's popular, or they think it's going to give them the comfort and convenience, or even the belonging that they're looking for. And so they embrace elements of that. And surprisingly, that's become a very significant worldview in America. You can actually look at the three words in the name, moralistic. The idea here is that uh, these people believe, well, we're supposed to be good to each other. They don't believe that there are any absolute moral truths, but they believe that internally, you know right from wrong. And so just follow, you know, what your intuition or what your your uh, gut, your instinct, your emotions, where that's leading you. therapeutic, the whole idea is that they believe that the purpose of living is that we're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to feel good about ourselves. That's the primary reason that we're on the planet, is to feel good and to, to become a good person toward others. And then this deistic perspective is that, yes, they do believe there is a God that exists and possibly who created everything that exists. But they also believe that God remains distant from people's lives. He's not involved with us from day to day. He puts very limited demands on people. We can call on him to save us when we're in an emergency situation and he might show up But apart from that, God really isn't a major player in their lives. So you put all those things together, and basically what they're saying is, you know what, we should be good to each other. If we're good enough, God will let us into heaven. He's not going to bug us much beyond that. And, you know, we don't have to worry about any list of truths or commands or principles We just have to do what feels right and makes us happy.
0: What's the solution to what you've outlined for us today?
4: Well, certainly one of them would be that each of us needs to examine our own set of beliefs and behaviors Mm. to take a look at what does the Bible call us to do and what am I doing or believing and seeing where there are gaps or inconsistencies. Those are places where we need to start addressing why that gap exists. Part of it may have to be that we need to be in relationships with other Bible-believing Christians so that we can talk about these things in a uh, trust-based relationship and environment, and maybe there can even be some mutual accountability for how it is that we're believing and behaving. You know, in this process, too, you might even think about what church are you going to? Are they advancing a moralistic, therapeutic, theistic perspective Or are they really trying to teach us the truths and principles from the scriptures and to get us to know how to integrate that into every dimension of our life? That's what we need. So if you're in a church that's not doing that, it might be time to think about changing church.
0: George Barna here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to culturalresearchcenter.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, which is a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection Podcast. You can also find links to the podcast to the Media Center, as well as through iTunes, through that Meeting House homepage. Two blogs are accessible. One is the three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is the front room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.